Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the OdaFest podcast. It is season 9, episode 12, and it's just me and Angelo today. <gasps> just the two of us. We can make it if we try. And uh, it's going to be a good one. We have so much random stuff to talk about today. But before we get into all of that... Don't forget to get your weekend passes for OdaFest at the early bird price of $58 redos and 69 nice cents. See details at OdaFest.com because it's going up soon, TM. Don't delay. Get them today because we know the price is going up soon. So if you soon. don't want to play more than $58 redos and 69 nice cents, get them now. But if you yeah. want to give us more money, that's also fine. I mean, just save yourself a couple bucks for the holidays. And that way, once OdaFest comes around, it's like you you feel like you have the extra $58 in your pocket because you spent it last year. But see, here's the thing. If past you is really good to future you, future you is significantly happier. Exactly. Exactly. Pays in dividends. When past me is my best friend, it feels so good. It do. It do be like that. Sometimes past me is like the worst person that's ever been to me. Yes. Past Nancy was supposed to do laundry in preparation for Extra Life and did not get laundry done in oh time. Oh my god. How so, dare past Nancy do that How dare past Nancy have a migraine all Thursday? But that's okay. Ah, that's a past Nancy problem. That is a past Nancy problem. Future Nancy has already grown past this migraine. Uh, and wants to talk about keyboards. Our favorite tangent of the year has been keyboards. And I love it because when Angelo and I get to be unsupervised, we get to have fun on the podcast about it. We do. And so last week we were talking about how Nancy had given me this mass drop keyboard PCB. And I was trying to figure out what to do with it, what to use to build it up, because it was a little bit of an oddball PCB, and I was having a hard time finding parts for it. And uh, to reiterate, so far I've got the wonderful, the wonderful PCB from Nancy, uh, also a nice set of dampening foam that is used to make it nice and quieter, less echoey and cavernous in the case the keys i already got i got some very nice key switches for it and the keys themselves came in the mail they are more gorgeous than i even thought they would be they are this nice this nice pastel green for the most part they have a deep green legend on them like they're a, they're a, they're a die sub key. So basically the legend, the the letters on the key are just printed on them effectively. Sort of. It's not quite quite that, but you are applying ink to the top surface of the key instead of doing this thing where you have mold injection and you inject a different colored plastic into the legend. Now, the difference being the different molded plastic and key is way better. 
And it's also about 10 times more expensive to produce. Depends on who you even go with. Sometimes it's as many as 20%, 20 times more. Goddamn. I, I was pulling that number out of my butt and I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. Who would have okay. thought that uh, instead of having one mold for one key and making a hundred of them, you needed a different two different molds for every key in every yeah. language. Yeah. But I mean the obvious the obvious benefit here is that you're not going to run into the situation where you wear your keys out and your letters start disappearing off your keys, but you're going to have this potential where you you know now you're spending 20 times more. Um, so for a little bit of context, the beautiful cherry blossom keys that I have on my keyboard right now, the keycaps alone, they were like less than $50. These were $30 as a promotion nice. for the whole set. That's not the bad at all. No, it's not. Uh, the GMK double shot uh, ABS ones that I got that were like a Fuji cherry blossom theme those ones were like closer to 200 USD. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. So keyboard keys can get quite expensive. I went with cheaper ones. So they're they're the die sub kind. They're the printed on letters. And so if I use them a lot, they will wear down eventually. But, but it'll take a really long gorgeous. time. The colors are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The legend is wonderful. It's got your standard QWERTY key set, as well as hiragana kana on each key. And uh, I, I did myself a little experiment. I installed the Japanese uh, the Japanese language onto my laptop just to see what how it worked, what it would be like. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple different modes that you can use for it. There's the uh, the Romanji mode where you like type out every single kana that you want. If you want ha, you press H-A. If you want ke, you do K and E at the same time. Mm -hmm. But there's also kana input, which means that every key will be its own hiragana or katakana. And so I was looking at, the, at what I would type out, cross-referencing with my new keyboard keys, and they are 100% accurate. Nice. I'm, I'm very hype. I am going to be uh, uh, learning Japanese at the tips of my fingers. Very nice. I'm very we'll proud see. of you. We'll see. But the keys also have, there's, there's a wonderful set of novelty keys that have like matcha tea, dango, a bunch mm. of other little snacks on them. They're so cute. Yes, they are. And this leads to the biggest question of the whole build. I was thinking, well, what do I put it in? What do yes. I do? I can't just have a flimsy keyboard PCB with wonderful uh, uh, keys on it on my desk. I mean, I could. Wouldn't but be that, great. That, that's kind of sacrilegious, you know? So I was trying to find a case for this keyboard and I couldn't find one. To the point where last week on the keyboard on the on the podcast, I was legitimately, legitimately considering DIYing a keyboard case for it, getting some getting some nice looking wood, renting a router, and going crazy. 
And then I remembered one little detail. No matter what, I would have had to find a top plate mm-hmm. for the keyboard. That's what, yes, I believe I mentioned because this. The keys, the keys, they can mount directly to the PCB, but they're made to clip into a top plate. Yes. They they will fall out of the keyboard if you just have them pressed into the into the PCB. Yeah. They're and not the, the same as a stabilizers. So the key stabilizers, your really long keys, like your enter key, your shift keys, your yeah, space, space bar, bar. They have this nice little metal rod going underneath them that makes it so that if you press the the left side of the key or the right side of the key that the whole key goes down at the same time right Mm -hmm. and so that's the job of the key stabilizer the key stabilizer also mounts to that top plate so Mm -hmm. no matter what i needed to find a top plate so i started looking for one the quest was on and i couldn't find one Oh, dear. Rather, I found many. I found many. But just like going like, okay, my keyboard has the holes here. That one has the holes there. I don't (laughs) think that will work. Exactly. So I was scouring several different sites until I did the smartest thing. I had a 900 IQ moment. I had an epiphany. Oh, okay. I looked. At the PCB and got the model number of it and typed that into Google. So about five or six years ago, MassDrop, <laughs> which is now drop.com, started making their own keyboards. Yes. And this PCB is one of them. And it's a very nice PCB. It's very feature rich. And to go along with these nice new keyboards they had, they were making their own cases. Mm-hmm. They still make those cases. Yes, they do. I was wondering if you were going to consider that. They absolutely do. So I was looking at them. I was looking at them and they were like, oh, by the way, if you have the mass drop specific version of this keyboard, it you will know because it says mass drop on the back instead of just drop. You mm-hmm. also have to get this extra little riser bit. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was looking at the case. And so there was this nice solid aluminum uh, anodized bronze case. Ooh. The riser was a clear acrylic acrylic riser, which is something that I'd already been like thinking about in my ideal version of this case if I if uh-huh. I tried to DIY it. Uh-huh. Uh and I was like, God damn it. It gives me the top plate I need. It gives me the cool acrylic feature that I want. And it's actually made by someone else who's made keyboard cases before. <laughs> is it finally time for me to don't DIY? This is a part that you can definitely not DIY. It is very difficult to DIY a computer case. I was like, I was kind of ready. I was like being like, how cheap, how shoddy, how stupid and how basic ghetto. can I do it while still making it look good? And the more things that I realized. And then this one is is your way out. You're going to yes. get a nice, decent looking case. It's going to be, it's going to fit all the things you need. It's going to have the USB-C port where you need it. 
It's going to line I mean, up. It's going to have the acrylic riser for the, the edging around the edge. While it was still expensive, it was on sale because of Cyber Monday. So that was a nice little 30% cut. Nice. And uh, on top of that, how much money would I have wasted, like, buying or renting a router, fucking up materials, uh, trying to just make it look good? Worth it? So I ended up spending, after conversion rate and shipping, another $200. This puts my total for the keyboard at $340. But overall, it is going to be a very nice keyboard. I've already I... started looking at the uh, configurator for it to set up my own key layout. Mm-hmm. And I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, you are. Yeah. One thing that I want to do, one thing that I really want to do is, uh, you know how on your keyboard you've got like those, those really useless buttons, things like... Uh, uh, insert, uh, page up, page down, home, end, uh, scroll lock, pause break. You can make, you can make, uh, arguments for them. Like, the delete key has rights. Arguably, the home and the end key have, have rights if you're doing a lot of console work. Which I do. (laughs) But. I mean, I I almost never use them. Uh, yeah, and that's why it's a personal thing how everyone likes to set up their mechanical keyboards. Yeah. So I'm debating on whether I have those bound to, like, media keys for, like, volume or pause or play or things of that nature. Or I'm thinking it's like, I hit the Windows key and R for so many specific applications like, I am constantly bringing up the calculator or notepad uh, several times a day. And I feel like, do I want to bind that directly to a key? I can. I absolutely Indeed. can. You can. Or uh, I can just bind the, the Windows key R to a key, like the run command. Yep. That would be super handy. It's not a big deal. Like, hitting Windows and R at the same time isn't a big deal. No. But I feel like having a button specifically to do that would just be fun. Yeah. I have, so, um, the default mass drop PCB does come with uh, built-in multimedia keys. You just have to know where they are and what to hit. The thing you'll find most fun is when you get into smaller keyboard layouts, people like entirely remove like the the standard F1, F2, F3, like the all the F key functionalities. They remove all that and they replace them all with dedicated like I want these to be on multimedia keys. I want this to launch things. I want these to be Stream Deck buttons, uh, etc., oh, yeah. etc. And that's fine, but you can layer. In, in mechanical keyboards. So you can say, I'm on layer one, and this is what all the keys on the keyboard do on layer one. If I need, for any reason, to keep insert, delete, home, and page up, page down, 
you can put them on the layer two, and then anytime you actually need them, go to layer two, hit the keys, exactly. go back to layer They're one. They're always there. Exactly. Uh, that actually reminds me, as far as the F-Row goes, this is something that a lot of laptops have been doing. There's function always locks? been, like, the function keys that have been the secondary function on the F-Row. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of laptops now have it so those secondary functions are now the primary purpose of that row. And if you actually want one of the F keys, that is the function key combination. Yep. Uh, in my laptop specifically, my laptop's not new. It's from 2017. It is an option in the BIOS, whether the F row or the functions are the primary thing that those buttons do. Mm-hmm. I remember that. But yeah, it sounds like you're building uh, a really lovely personal keyboard, and I love that for you. I love that um, I love that the parts, the spare parts I had went to a good home. Yeah, yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm glad. I can't wait to see everything all lit up and working exactly the way you like it and sounding really good. It is going really to be good. a keyboard that can be used as a weapon. Yes, probably. I can probably use my keyboard as a weapon, actually. Yes. I mean, that's just one thing that's always, like, uh, uh, that's always been something that I've thought about when I see these solid metal keyboard cases. Like, there are the solid plastic ones from the 80s, like the IBM Model Ms that were practically indestructible as they were. And we're just going, like, you know what? That's wonderful. I love that for you, IBM. What if it was metal? Yep. <laughs> I have yes. a fully aluminum one, and it's just, it's nice. Ooh. It's nice. It just, it does everything I need it to be, and it's still low profile, which I super love. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what else is nice, though? Oh. When you get a good Black Friday slash Cyber Monday deal. Oh, yeah. Dio got a couple different good deals. Mm. So, back eons ago, eons ago, Dio would use my printer a lot. And my printer is pretty old now. It's, it's probably from 2013, maybe 2014 if I'm lucky. And every time we would go to set it up. It is the biggest pain in the ass. Like, printers, being the bane of office work, is such an old meme that movies from the 90s riffed on it. Like, Office Space. Mm -hmm. Office Space had that cathartic scene, scene. Where the three guys, the three main characters, bring the printer out to the middle of a field. And beat the ever-loving hell out of it. Yep. It's shot in slow motion. They got some just absolute wonderful Rage Against the Machine music. I shouldn't say that. I don't think it was the band Rage Against the Machine. But these motherfuckers were raging against the machine. And that's what's important. Very good angry music. Yes. But printers these days seem a lot better like a lot better uh so on black friday dio got themselves a brand new printer a nice epson printer it has ink tanks 
not cartridges. And this is something in printer development that went under the radar for me for the longest time. Now that I'm not working like electronics retail anymore, Mm -hmm. it's so cool to see that printer manufacturers have decided, you know what? What if we get rid of this cartridge bullshit that nobody likes? Literally nobody likes this. What if we stop making all of our money on just the ink? Because if we sell the ink for $2, we're still making a 10,000% markup on it. Mm. What if we just make a good printer with massive ink tanks that you can just have a good fucking time with? (laughs) And what if we put an LCD screen on it so when you connect it to the Wi-Fi, it's as easy as typing your name on Pokemon on the Game Boy in 1999. That is a shock. to the Wi-Fi with my old printer was always the biggest pain in the ass. The biggest pain. There's a function called WPS where Mm -hmm. you press a button on your router and a button on the device and they're like, oh, we got this button pressed at the same time. Let's connect right away. That is the biggest security risk in almost any router, and any router should have that disabled. So like a good little IT gremlin, mine is disabled. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, anytime I need to connect my WIP printer to the Wi-Fi, if I haven't done that before, I have to connect it with uh, USB. I have to download the driver software from Canon, and they're like, wow, you you, you have a 13-year-old printer? No, 10-year-old printer? Do we really want to support this? That was back when 2000, Windows 7 was relevant. Get out of here. Get out of here. And then it doesn't always work. It is such a massive pain. And new printers are just painless about it. When did that happen? It happened when we started transferring security and making it very, very non-transparent. But I want to know more about the um, the ink tanks because I've been eyeing one of those up. And uh, I, I, growing up, I had an inkjet. I liked my inkjet. I actually super loved the quality that came out of it. Uh, the fact that the nozzles uh, plugged every now and again wasn't a huge deal. Like, it wasn't too difficult to just clean it out. For me, me who came from a fairly tech background, it was really easy for me to just take care of it. Um, And we would do this thing too, where we would like, we knew exactly where in the, in the cartridge to drill holes so that we could refill it with our own ink. Oh, damn. It was, it was a great time. Uh, We didn't buy a new cartridge after like the first three or four that we bought. Uh, So we, we, it wasn't that big of a deal for us. Now, I know with the tank, some of those problems still exist, like your nozzles are still sometimes at risk of drying out over time if you don't use the printer frequently enough, uh, but, you know, it's it's a lot less plastic waste because you're not having to go out and buy a whole cartridge whenever one color wears out. And not only that, it's just the ICs as well. Modern cartridges have... Uh, IC chips on them that if, let's say, 
there's a shortage of IC chips because of a global pandemic. Oh, well, suddenly, do you have to not make printer cartridges anymore? No, you just have a plastic bottle of ink. It's basically the same plastic as like a ketchup bottle. Like there's nothing stopping you from restocking your printer. Yes. And it's just nice. Yes. It's just nice. On top of that, back when I was in high school, I wasn't spending money on posters or anything. So I would just be printing things like on the printer. I'd be like downloading pictures of Yu-Gi-Oh! online and printing those out and taping them on my wall. Nice. Uh, That used printer ink like nothing else. It was insane. So I've always been paranoid about like using up all the ink because it's so expensive to replace. Even on my old 10-year-old printer, 10 years old now, if I want to replace the ink... It's like $100 for both cartridges. Or if I get the non-canon cartridges, I'm still looking at like 60 bucks for both. Mm-hmm. And because of the way those cartridges work, I haven't tried just opening them up and refilling the tank. But a lot of them are sneaky about it, and they don't actually count how much ink they have, but rather how many pages they've gone through. Mm-hmm. So even if you refill the tank, it's like, no, no, no. I've printed this many pages, so I can't work anymore. Yeah. I also remember there being a lot of problems, too, with um, Canon printer. Well, not Canon specifically, but, like, inkjet printers uh, locking up and just saying, please contact service to, to have this printer serviced. And what it was complaining about was there is a counter. It counts how many pages it prints. And then you need to have an authorized service tech unlock the firmware so you can continue printing after so many pages and uh i i know there's like an internal clean cycle and what it does is it just soaks up a very large wad of cotton with a bunch of ink yeah and if you don't get that changed out every so often it just causes you problems yeah god printers are such a horrible piece of machinery but it really does seem like they're getting a little bit better, a little bit more consumer friendly. So interestingly enough, I also picked up a random new printer for Black Friday. Oh my. Um, there, so, so it has been a hotly debated topic in this household whether we should get a, an inkjet, exactly the one that Dio got actually, or uh, the equivalent in laser. Fair. And, it, ha- it has been a debate, hotly debated, back and forth, same points constantly. There's, there's been no give. It's been a tug of war, and the knot in the middle has not been moving. Uh, and we ended up getting an inkjet. Uh, sorry, not an inkjet. We a ended laser. up getting a laser. And, a pew-pew uh, machine. A pew-pew machine full of colored dust that gets electro-bonded onto some paper for you. And so, as a test... The very first thing I did was I scanned a photo that I had just laying around. It was a photo. It was taken at someone's wedding of, of someone dressed very nicely. There were lots of bright colors and dark colors on it. I did a copy. So I stuck it on the scanner, closed it, and then I just said, copy this. Scan this and copy it. Print me out a copy. The colors were awful. Skin tones oh, looked no. gray. Uh, the vibrancy is gone. And that is one of my points against 
color laser. laser. It just, colors don't come out very vibrant the way that the toners mix. They come out muddy. So it's like, okay, okay. Maybe the scan function isn't so great. We printed one of the photos that we took from Japan when we last went. And that came out pretty nice, actually. Oh, so maybe it's just the scanner itself that's not that great. I think it might be a combination of the scanner and the copy functionality and how it attempts to translate color. Maybe there's just some weird compression artifacts that go through that system. Who knows? Entirely possible. But I've never seen someone look so zombie-esque. I know that that is one of the classical arguments against laser printers, that Mm. because of the way they work, that inkjets are just better color. That's the end of the argument, that laser, no matter what, the color can't be as accurate or vibrant as inkjet. But if you were printing stuff out from your camera and it looked great, I think that's good enough. Uh, I've always been a fan of laser printers. We have one at work, and uh, I will neither confirm or deny if I abuse that power. I appreciate that potential fact. But it has, it has, like, eight different paper trays. I can put little letter papers. I can put, like, proper 8.5 by 11. It'll even do somewhat large format. Like, it has, a, a, I think it's 8.5 by 14 that it can do. Mm-hmm. And I found out that, actually, 8.5 by 14 uh, works pretty good for a backing plate of a fight stick. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I was really surprised about that. And quite frankly, laser printer color, if you're printing out like some some bright anime stuff, well, let's just say that uh, my fight stick has something nicer on it than the inkjet printers that I had back when I was in high school. Okay, I will neither fair. confirm or deny if it was printed at work, but... But. <laughs> but. Actually, that is something that uh, you should be careful of, mm-hmm. because our printer at work does store all of the jobs that it does. Oh, that's right. For security reasons, yeah. Yes. Uh, I was told once, I was told once, that it was found that one of the employees was looking for a new job because someone was auditing the the print jobs and found some resumes in there. Ooh, oh boy. <laughs> oh golly. Oh my. That is that is almost as awkward as finding out your parents are divorcing because you accidentally overheard them from a window. Did that happen to you? That sounds that... too specific. <laughs> so that so that happens in the very opening cutscene of It Takes Two, which is what we oh, played okay. for extra life uh this year so most years i do extra life uh, with odafest now because it's so much easier to take up a four or eight hour shift and yes we're still marathoning for 24 hours but any one person doesn't need to stay awake for the whole 24 consecutive hours well this year i went back to my old ways which is i do this full 24 hours and i do it with my friends and oh man every single 
thing I remember about staying awake for 24 hours straight still applies. Oh, yeah. I know for a fact that I I know for a fact that around two o'clock in the morning, I start getting pretty tired. Like my my uh, my response time definitely goes down my ability to remember words and just like effectively communicate so you know good luck if you're doing any sort of collaborating in a in a video game which definitely was happening at that point in time oh no because it takes two is like a you know 13 hours it was a 13 hour game for us and we started at like 2 30 almost three o'clock in the afternoon so it took until three in the morning ish possibly a bit more than that for us to wrap it all up and man, man, it is hard to collaborate in a in a fully cooperative game when you're having a hard time just having words. And like literally this just happened. Like I went to bed today at 8.30 and woke up at 12.30, like just past noon. It was a wild day. I'm still not sure I fully grasp where time has all gone and what's all happening. But yeah, two o'clock. That's when. Uh, that's when like the really heavy tireds start kicking in. Um, four o'clock is when you need to be really careful about blinking for too long because if you blink for too long, you definitely just start falling asleep before you realize oh, yeah. it. Um, I have been in that situation before, yeah. where like. I have a particularly long shift at work or if I have a night shift and I'm just leaning back and I blink and suddenly I open my eyes and the shadows are in different positions of the room. <laughs> Whoops. Just like, wait a minute. Wait a second. I definitely just woke up. How long have I been out? Oh, what geez. year is it? What time is it? <laughs> um, and then... About six o'clock, six in the morning is when my body, personally for me, stops being able to thermoregulate very effectively. This is when I am both really hot and really cold. I'm shivering from the cold, but I'm also kind of warm and gross and sweaty at the same time simultaneously. It is not a nice feeling. It is your body telling you, my dude, you need to sleep. Yes, that is your body being like, okay, I could have read uh, the Samuel Jackson version of Go the Fuck to Sleep like 100 (laughs) times by now. Yeah. I am no longer telling you to go the fuck to sleep. You will sleep. Yeah, it definitely happened a couple of times where I blinked and I was like, wait. How long have I been blinking for? And and like by all rights, no one around me was like, "Oh, Nancy fell asleep." It was just like it just felt like time warps differently when you blink. It does. That that definitely happens wet like at 6 in the morning for me when I do extra life. And then by the time 8 o'clock rolls around and, like, the needle hits 8 o'clock and you're like, woo, we're done, yeah, thanks, everybody, that was great. That little bit of adrenaline of actually finally being done keeps you from being able to fall asleep despite every single part of your body wanting to sleep for the last, like, six hours. Oh, my like, God. Like, I want nothing but to just go to sleep right now. That was that was your whole body. You're so For, like, the last five strong. hours. I and now that you finally never. can go to sleep, your body's not letting you sleep. 
No. Especially because, like, it's finally day again, right? Yes. It is the morning, and your body's like, all right, time to get up. If you ever went to sleep in the first place. And yeah, when I was going to bed, it was light out. Like, 8 o'clock, it was freaking light out. I was like, no, this isn't what I wanted. Oh, but you're so strong. I'm so glad you were able to do that. You raised a good chunk of change for charity. I did. So the final number actually ended up being a lot higher than I originally set for myself. I think oh. I originally I originally had like $300. We hit that, so I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll bump it up to 500 And then within the first hour of starting Extra Life, someone already donated enough for me to hit 500 So as any good marathoning thing uh goes you you raise the cap a little bit more so i raised it up to 750 and keep in mind this is in american dollars oh yeah oh those, those, that's big money so yeah uh i ended up raising just over i think a thousand canadian dollars the actual goal was 750 us so when that money actually hits the the alberta children's hospital it's going to be closer to a grand nice very nice it's very very exciting times. But yeah. That's It wonderful. takes two. Accidentally finding out your parents are going to be divorcing. And then the entire game as I play it through with my with my gaming partner is just divorce roleplay. That was the name of the stream that I changed it to when we started the game is we will now roleplay as divorcing. <laughs> this is going to be weird. <laughs> That's and, wonderful. And your marriage counselor is an animate book with a very thick spanish accent and he really likes to gyrate at you oh the book gyrates oh yes the book i've never seen a twerking book before well you should play it takes two if you like asymmetrical co-op it takes two is the way to go um i've i've seen that game a lot like i've seen other people playing it but i didn't mm -hmm. really stick around to take a look at what the gameplay was actually like until I was watching you while me and Dio were getting ready for a, a corporate Christmas party. But it looked really fun. I saw I saw one of you guys had a big gun that just shot a bunch of, like, flammable goo. The yep. other one had rockets. And you were just, like, solving a bunch of physics puzzles with it. It looked really great. It is the... It is the epitome of if you... And your partner were years into a marriage, severely unhappy with each other, and have made the decision to divorce. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden you get thrown into Toy Story Land to solve your problems. I saw that. There was a squirrel that looked like Fidel Castro. Yeah. Fidel Squirrel was a weird dude. Yeah. He was strange but also it was cruel because there was literally a scene where they lock you in a room and they just have wasps sicked on you and and you keep dying and respawning over and over like that's actually kind of cruel oh absolutely but i saw that i remember seeing that and as soon as i saw it i was just thinking of uh the first doctor strange movie right at the end as uh your boy keeps getting blown up and keeps reappearing being like dormammu i've come to bargain 
Dormammu, I've come to bargain. And it's just like, no, those wasps, you're not locked in that room with the wasps. The wasps are locked in that room with you. (laughs) But that's kind of the thing is that anytime you die in in a level or whatever, you just kind of respawn, you pop up uh, in, in a pseudo safe spot. And the fact that these squirrels captured you and were trying to interrogate you by force and just kept killing you in the room over and over again. It was just, it was kind of dark considering the tone of the game, right? Yeah, it looked like an otherwise lighthearted, like, fun little family-friendly game. Yeah. Except apparently it is not family-friendly. It's all about uh, family falling apart. Look, there is some really strangely traumatic stuff in this game. Wow. I will tell you. It's it's everything is coated in sugar rainbows and and sparkle and glitter and very adorable kids toys and sometimes household tools, but like there are some there are basically pieces uh, of really really gory movie moments, but they're hidden under children's toys. They've been reskinned as children's toys. And it's kind of traumatic. Damn. God like, damn. I didn't ex- so I have, for full visibility, I have played this game before with uh, Bayfar. We played okay. it on on our regular stream when we were streaming together. And it that was like a handful of years ago. So I've already cycled all of that memory out. And I was like, this is fine. I can't remember anything about this game. This will just be like playing it for the first time again. And it kind of was. Like, I've already forgotten most of the details of the game. Playing it again yesterday slash this morning was a ton of fun because I had already forgotten a lot of it. I feel like it's it's like a mild, uh, normal human kind of a superpower because forgetting stuff like that means you get to re-experience it similarly again. And we've talked about this before on this podcast. We've talked about how you can never watch your favorite media again for the first time. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's like a, a normal, regular, everyday person kind of a superpower. But, you know, I'm not, that's not just me trying to relabel my memory in a positive light. But, so we played It Takes Two. I also played a lot of Genshin catch-up because I haven't touched Genshin in months. I saw that you were in the French area. And, okay, here's the thing. Fontaine is also very Italian. So they kind of just throw French and Italian words everywhere and names. And because I'm playing in Japanese, because this is the like a good way for me to reinforce my Japanese language skills, because I'm playing in Japanese, uh, I don't get to listen to what a lot of the English VAs say when they say a lot of these words. And it reminded me this morning at like 3 in the morning when new people were popping into the stream in different time zones everywhere around the world. They were like, yeah, English VAs say it like this. And I'm like, that's not quite exactly French, but I could totally see Americanized French words or French names being said that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's really fun hearing uh, people who don't speak French French. pronounce French things. It's very interesting, and I think we take it for granted because we 
I grew up in Canada. I had my education in Canada, which means I've had the prerequisite years of French in my public education. And like, I'm very well socialized to it because French is all over our packaging, right? But then you go down to the States and it's not French there. It's mostly Spanish. It's, yeah. it's English, but everyone seems very well socialized with random Spanish phrases or bits or words. And you're like, okay. So basically it's Spanish without necessarily making Spanish their official uh, language of the country. Uh, here's a, I get to teach you a fun fact. Mm. What is the official language of the United States? Is it not English? Because that's funny. The... Fact of the matter is, so Canada has English Two. and French as the official languages of the country. Exactly. The United States has no official language. Is it because they're a United States and so they leave each state to have their own official language? As far as it goes, I'm not certain on the details of it. I'm sure that individual states have the right to impose an official language, but for the country as a whole... There is no required or official language. Of course, English is so ubiquitous that it might as well be an official language, but it isn't. As, a, as an example of this, before World War I, 30% of, the, of Americans spoke German as their mother tongue. Ooh. Yes. And then World War I made it uncool. Oh, Right. That, that is legitimately what happened. Huh. But Interesting. When it, if we roll it back to Genshin, I'm actually really unfamiliar with the French part. All I know is the memes, and so I have to ask you. Uh-huh. Did you get to the Oratrice Mécanique d'Analyse Cardinale? Frick, yes, I did. How did so it that... sound in Japanese? Uh, it sounded significantly nicer because the Japanese version was basically like the Oracle machine. Oh, okay. Like, it's just like, like, okay, so here's the thing. We talked about it a whole bunch during the Extra Life stream, but when you look at how Genshin is localized, it's very interesting. So, uh, Hoyo is a Chinese company, so the story is written by Chinese writers for what feels like a Chinese demographic slash audience. It because, feels like the Chinese demographic is their, their primary target. Well, they're, they're sort of writing with that kind of cultural overtone, right? Like they're, so the funny thing is, is that uh, Chinese workplace culture is very similar to Japanese workplace culture in that you're expected to socialize outside of work hours with your coworkers a lot. Like you, you go drinking, with your coworkers, you go drinking with your bosses, you go, you know, and uh, the funny thing is, is that it's generally frowned upon by government to to indulge in vices, but that conflicts with workplace culture that is based around drinking a lot. So a government official will be very, very heavy-handed let go slash fired for being found out that he has a mistress. But workplace drinking? Hmm. You might turn a blind eye to that. But a lot of writing in Genshin uh, really frowns upon drinking. Diona, for example, is famously known for hating alcohol and wanting to destroy the entire alcohol industry. Um, 
Paimon, for some reason, and Traveler also, um, anytime we're offered a drink as a player, you ask for juice. And Paimon, at some point last night during some of the, the story I was going through, specifically says something against drinking. And I thought that was just really interesting because it speaks to the the demographic they're aiming the audience towards. So when you then take that and then you localize it in English, it's pretty easy to to localize for cultural storytelling. Sure, um, the the anti alcoholism is still in there. Uh, you see a lot more references to just Western culture in general because you have the entire first region was munched at. I mean, hello. Um, oh, yeah. This whole area is based on the Eastern European countries. I, I don't know really if the Brits are super represented here, but definitely a lot of Italian and French and Spanish uh, cultural pieces and architecture and fashion and like all those things are all very heavily leaned into. So cool. Great. But then it comes to the actual language part of English localization. And one of the biggest complaints from players about Genshin's writing is that they use a lot of big fanciful words in a needlessly complicated way that makes it difficult to understand. Not only that, but they also use those big fanciful words wrong. <laughs> nice. So it's just... It's just sort of, it's it's needlessly complicated in many, many different facets. And, you know, fine. Um, using fancy words, I'm not against that. I love using a good fancy word. But I like to use them not overly frequently. And I, I like to at least keep it in regular sounding conversation. There was actually a really good discussion last night on, is it gave in or gave out versus... Uh, is it caving in or collapsing? And then when you talk about a human being dissolved in something, do you think it's a vat of acid or do you think it's water? Hmm. So you see what I mean? When you see the, t the words a person, a, a human, a name was dissolved in, what do you think? I think a person got thrown in like a drum full of acid. Yes. I... I know a little bit about the story, so I know that it's not acid. There's some yeah. other shenanigans with some specific water in Fontaine. Yes. So there's and, there's that, but just, you know, when you think but about like, if it. if someone says, like, oh, well, yes, this person was dissolved. It's like, um, did, did y'all throw them into a bathtub full of acid? Like... Did we Did have a Breaking Bad moment? you guys go all moment? fucking Jesse and Heisenberg on someone? God damn. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, there's that. But then you look at the actual technical definition of what it is to dissolve. And of course, this isn't necessarily an incorrect usage of the word. It's just that culturally and um, through, like, verbal conversation, like, through the actual usage of english in everyday language you wouldn't ever describe a human as dissolving but you would absolutely use dissolve to describe sugar in water or salt in water anything water soluble in water of course you would use dissolve, dissolve. so i could absolutely see why you would use the same term for describing a human that has apparently been dissolved into water yes into water so you know what i mean um the actual colloquial usages 
are very interesting. So, for example, when a friend was visiting last, like right around Odafest, they actually came here to go to Odafest and then we just hung out for an extra week afterwards. Uh, he used the word quaint. And and he said it unsarcastically, so I knew he didn't mean it in that typical way that most people use the word quaint. Most people use the word quaint in a sarcastic way to define something that is cute in quotes, as in they're afraid to say that it's not cute. It's like if you walked into a 200-square-foot uh, apartment that was going for $3,000 a month rent, you would describe it as quaint. <clears throat> but I would never actually want this, is the exactly. undertone. Is the other t- it's, it's like when um, you gift someone something that you think is really adorable, and they go, oh, it's quaint. And, and then you look at it, and you're just like, well, they didn't like it. Usually, you don't use the word quaint to describe something you like, usually. It has colloquially. a colloquial, like, semi-negative under- undertone. Totally. Even though the word has, has nothing to do with that. Nope, nothing at all. The actual definition of quaint is actually just like, it's a nice way to say cute. And that's just the thing. You can use language without the the cultural attachments to the language. So while you sound 100% correct technically, it just sounds not quite right. Yes. Yes. Anyway, that was a discussion that absolutely helped keep me awake at four in the morning thank you friends oh my gosh yes well i think it is time for us to not keep nancy awake any longer for us to end this discussion for the week and so we will see you again on next week's episode of the Odafest podcast take care and sleep well bye-bye Thank you.